All right, so the first question up, you'll see the questions right down here, guys, that pop up there. Um, what are some of the best practices for leaving well? And I'm assuming the question is about leaving staff or about leaving as a senior pastor. I guess we could cover both of those. So the, the purpose, the, the, the idea of leaving well, leaving the staff, leaving the team, um, let's touch on that. When you, when you have a staff member, a pastor, ready to leave the church, are, uh, what are some of the things you've seen over the years that have been helpful as they left and not helpful? Um, honor, honor everybody you can honor. In fact, you ought to do that. Every time you come into a room, look around and see who you can honor. You know, uh, but when you leave, always honor everybody. Speak life about everybody. Um, yeah, and I don't know, you know, where the question is coming from. Is it coming from leaving a ministry, leaving a staff, whatever? Let me tell you how not to leave well. Is to go on social media about your next place and talk about what a life-giving place this is. Really, I'm looking to forward the, to church this Sunday for the first time. For the in a first long time, time in a long time. Yeah, yeah, that type thing. That's not. That actually happened to me one time, and it kind of hurt. Oh, still. It, it's happened you pray to all over of me us. Later. It's happened to all of us. Yeah. Wow. Finally found a good church. You know that type thing. Yeah. You don't want to. I just honor everybody, and uh, I don't know what else. I'm not sure where it comes from. Pastor Tommy, I know no one's ever left your church. I mean, who would want to leave your church? But I know other, other pastors have bemoaned this to you. What is, what's the art of leaving well? I don't know. I'm, I'm wanting to know how to leave well. <laughs> I'm a listener on this one. I think one thing you got to remember is that we're all interim pastors. Uh, we're all interim uh, none of us are forever. Uh, you know, we're all interim. I mean, one day we're going to go to the grave and someone else is going to pastor the church. I mean, even if you stay there for your life, uh, it's all temporary for us. And it's, it's painful. Uh, it's painful when people leave wrong. It is. It's one of the most painful things I think pastors go through is when people leave in a wrong way. And uh, the proper way to leave is to be open about it, to talk about it. Uh, I think it goes both ways to the senior pastor providing an atmosphere for people to have honest conversations and for people to have the courage to come forward and tell you when they're leaving so that it can be a, a marriage and not a divorce. I think the, a lot of this feels like a divorce to us, like uh, someone leaves the staff and they're angry. It feels like a divorce instead of a wedding, um, and it should be a celebration instead of a, a time of sadness. And um, I think we can do better. I think we could all do better at, at this, this whole process. Well, I do want to say a word about that. A uh, hundred people can join the church on Sunday, but if I hear one leaving, it just really bothers me. And uh, it bothers me a lot. But let me help you. One of the things they usually say when they leave any church is, well, I'm not being fed. I'm going to help you right now. Several years ago in L.A., we had a lot of people started coming to our church from Jack Hayford's church. And I said, well, why are you coming? And they said, because we have not been fed. Now, if Jack Hayford can't feed you, you cannot be fed. How many realize that? So the important thing, it's not how, what they say about you. It's what you believe. And you don't have to believe what they say. And so that's the one that we hear the most. Everybody hears. And uh, that's just a trick of the enemy to discourage you. So don't let, leave if they do leave you improperly, you have to rise above it. All right, exactly. Beautiful. All right, next question. Pop it up there. Uh, these are questions coming from you. Do you think longevity in a singular church is a must for pastors? Um, 
If not, if no, how do you move on healthy? In other words, what is, what's the strength of staying a long time, I guess is the question. And we do see less and less of this, of pastors having tenure. I mean, the fact that you just said you had been at the church. How long have you been at, at Phoenix first? Uh, 36 years. Dream City Church now. 36 yes. years. And you were the, you've been the pastor since 1988, 38 years as well, 28. 28 years. 28 years. What's the strength of pastors staying? Well, I'd like to say a word about that. that is, I, I believe my dad is, was at one church for 40 years. During that 40 years, he was elected as a member of the school board which is a city-wide election of Kansas City. He also ran for mayor, believe it or not, of the city while pastoring one of the largest churches in our denomination, about the third largest. And he always said that the longer you stay, the more influence you can have. You've married, you've buried, you've dedicated the babies and so forth. There used to be a philosophy which I was taught, and that is that after you've been there and you've had a long stay, that you should just leave and never go back. So when I left Davenport, Iowa, we had a revival there for eight years. It was an unbelief. Uh, many of you know Johnny Cash. The first time he came and had a rally was at our church. We had 30,000 people that came. And uh, our United States Senator was saved and attended our church. It was a revival. So when I left, the church really had a bad situation. I determined in my heart that this next church, I would do everything I could to keep that from happening. They have a new now thing that we're being taught. They're being taught that fellows that have been there for years, when they resign, they should not leave. They should stay. They should learn how to stay, and they should stay in that church and encourage the new preacher. And they claim now that this is the way it's really worked the best. In our situation, it has really worked best. In the two churches that we've taken over, the pastors, we give them a salary for life, but now they stay on the front row. They don't preach or anything, but they support the work. The new, the new paradigm says that churches transist better when the pastor stays and encourages the church. I agree. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all living together. When it doesn't work, I think, is, and I agree with that 100%, what you said was you gave pastors a salary for life you honored them for their work which is great um when it doesn't work is when he doesn't have anything else to do <laughs> that's when you start meddling back into the the things and so you got to get have a next and find a next that is that is really helpful greg well, going to something running to something instead of running away from something that's great all right this is a very uh tricky question I, and i wanted this question to be i knew it, it was got you got asked yesterday but I wanted to wait to today to, uh, to tackle this question, and we might tackle this for quite a while here. We're living right now uh, in, a, in our culture. We're watching probably more racial division in our country since the 60s, since the civil rights movement of the 60s. Probably never before in the history of our church have we seen a greater distance between uh, ra races in our, in our country. And the church is, in, is exactly where it should be right now, right in the middle of this conversation. But we see this divide between the black community and the police. We, we see a division between blacks and whites. And Greg uh, has, Pastor Greg is pastoring in Charleston, South Carolina, where in the last year there have been two significant issues. One, a, a white police officer shooting an unarmed black man as he ran away from the officer. We all watched that on the news as that happened. And then tragically about a year ago, uh, a white 
a young white man went into a Sunday school class uh, at a church, and I know where this church is in downtown, right there in downtown Charleston. So one of the, I guess it's the oldest black church or a historic one church, mm-hmm. one of the oldest in the entire state, if not the city, and killed 14 people. Or nine, nine. Nine in the, in the Sunday school. And so Pastor Greg has been at the forefront of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Pastor Greg, how has the church come ro- risen up during this time and brought healing to very two very divisive issues in your in your city and what can we learn from that well it's first of all it's in process okay um, I'll tell you a couple of stories and I'll tell you a story and then you can see if we want to tell more but um, an officer uh, shot uh, a man seven times as he was running away um, that would not have uh, come to the surface other than a man not related to the situation videotaped it. And so you can see it. When it happened, um, you had a lot of racial unrest going on in Ferguson, Missouri, in, you know, some of the areas of Baltimore. And so um, the first thing I did was decide, first of all, it happened within like three, four blocks of our Dream Center campus in North Charleston. So that's our people, okay? So what I did was, I said, first of all, we are involved. We cannot not be involved. And so I asked our Dream Center pastor to get me immediately into my office um, uh, several guys or men in this situation uh, who were black, white, Republican, Democrat, attend the Dream Center and live in the community. I want to learn what's going on. Let me tell you something. Whether it's Black Lives Matter or whatever the phrase is, it's easy to throw rocks from a distance. You can only influence up close. Okay? So we brought him in the office, uh, and I said, okay, talk to me about the African-American experience. I'm white. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I, I don't know what your experience is. I've got a lot of friends that are policemen. The the you know head of the police force in Charleston goes to our church. I think that I will say this that if you get up and say something about this stuff, you're gonna, and I think that you have to, but you are going to offend policemen and black people. It's just gonna happen. Okay. So if you're there to win a popularity contest. Um, it's not a good place to be. But anyway, so I said, so, so here's what I believe. I, I believe that there are, most policemen are wonderful guys and girls doing one of the toughest jobs that there is in America. You walk up on a car, you have no idea what's going on. You have a few policemen who are racist, and you have a few policemen who are not trained well, some who are uh, into power, it's just there. There are some of those. Vast majority, vast majority of great people. So I I asked these guys, I said, um, okay, talk to me. Have you ever been, have you ever been harassed by the police? Have you ever been stopped while, uh, uh, we call it uh, DWB, driving while black? And uh, so I went around the, the room. Every African-American man in the room had had that experience on multiple, on multiple um, 
uh, situations where they're either driving a nice car and they're pulled over. And the only reason that they're pulled over that they could tell is that they were people of color. Tim Scott, who is our senator, you've seen him on Fox News and CNN and all that. He and I have been talking about it for years. I've told him, Tim, you have to share. He's a conservative. Uh, tremendous message. He said, you've got to share your black experience. He got up in Congress just a few weeks ago and did three videos. The first one was the appreciation for um, the police force. The second one was his experience, which he was stopped seven times in one year in North Charleston driving while black. He's a senator, okay? The, um, first, the first black senator in the history of the state. First black senator uh, in the South since re uh, Reconstruction. And uh, he and I had already had these conversations. Well, these guys are talking, and, and I said, okay, wh what do you do when you're stopped? This guy, the one guy I'm talking to is our worship leader there. Great guy. And he said, and I, yeah, I teach my boys this too, he said, when I'm stopped by a policeman, I uh, open the glove box, I put my uh, license and my wallet on the dashboard, I turn on OnStar, and I put my hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. I said, seriously? He said, seriously? I said, why do you do that? Because he said, I'm afraid I'm going to get killed. Gang, that's an experience I have never had. I'm looking at a crowd of people who are mostly white here. The first step is to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And, and <laughs> seek to listen and seek to learn. And so, uh, and so in that, and then, then I, I sit down and talk to the, the police. And I've got many friends that are, you know, very, very involved in the police force. And uh, here's what we did as a church. We did two things. Uh, number one, we wanted to, we wanted to, I don't want to say control, but it, almost that's true. We wanted to control the conversation on this. And there were some very famous people who come into these situations that did a rally. And we did a rally uh, at the same time. And um, their rally they had 80 people at, and that's the one you saw on CNN. Two blocks from there, we had 1,000 people at Unity for the Community, our rally, um, where we're going, let, we're in this together, and let's do it. So I would say this. I would say you got to be there. It's presence. It, you don't know what to say, but you've got to be there. Ask questions. Don't tell everybody you know what's, what, what is best. Ultimately, what we did is we, uh, we took some of our church money and we bought the police force in North Charleston body cameras um, because they didn't have it in their budget. Now, did that make some people in our church mad? Yes. Can, can I say this? Can I go back to my, you don't have to agree with me. I tell my church all the time. You don't have to agree with me. You have a right to be wrong. Okay, so it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but I think as a pastor, you're not in it for, you got to love people, but understand you're not in it for a popularity pro, uh, um, uh, deal. You know, that occasionally you got to make a stand that people aren't going to like. And uh, you got to understand what your mission is. My mission is not to make America great again. My mission is to populate heaven. Okay? That's my mission. And... If the two can come together, that's wonderful, but I'm always going to default to what my mission is. And uh, uh, so what it did is in the African-American community, 
it put us in their hearts. They said, you care. This is the church that cares about us. And, uh, and the city didn't explode. There's a lot of reasons for it. Um, but uh, anyway, that, that was the, the Tell the story real quickly. Uh, you shared in the office today about uh, reaching out and cooking meals. Okay. Tell, tell that story. That is so, I think you should all hear this story. The it's amazing. second situation you guys saw a lot on was the racist young man that tried to start a race war in Charleston by going in on a Wednesday night into Mother Emanuel AME Church, and, and he killed nine people. Uh, Fourteen people were in the room, and he killed nine of them, including the pastor, basically the whole pastoral staff. And um, uh, this is a small church, 350 people. It's not a large church, large building, large presence. Martin Luther King preached there. And uh, the chaplain of the police force called me. I was in Montana fishing. He said, you got to get down here just because you're one of the fathers of the city now. Wise sage. you got to take your responsibility. So I got on a plane, got down. And by the time I got there, they had caught the, the young man, Dylan uh, Roof. And, um, and he had said he's going to start a race war or whatever. And uh, so they asked me to be in the courtroom when the families would first see him. Now this room is real small, seats about 35 people, and you've got two people from every family. I just want you to think about this. Nine families in one church, about 350 people, and you've got two people from each family in there. They're going to face the acute, they're going to face the shooter who is totally unrepentant. Very happy about what he did. Has already said I will plead guilty but the the uh, they they want to uh, the Nash, or the the government uh, Washington wants to have it be a a death penalty case and that's why they're having a trial that's coming up soon and so so I'm in this I'm in this courtroom and I don't know what to do I'm just praying quietly praying along the back and I saw uh, what you guys heard these families say one after another I forgive you I forgive you. I forgive you. I, one of my friends, I had just flown in, so I didn't know, but one of my friends, his wife was the one that was one of the ones that was killed, and he said to the camera, this guy's in, in, behind a camera, he said, you know what, you took the very best from me, but if you'll bend your knee to Jesus Christ, this can be the best day of your life. So he's preaching the gospel to somebody who has just killed his wife. And uh, so I'm sitting there, now I'm crying, and I'm going, God forbid this ever happened at Seacoast, but if it did, would there be nine families who each one of them would line up and say, I forgive you? That's a test and a measurement of the discipleship of a pastor. And their pastor, politically, miles away from me, but I'm going to tell you what, he's a hero in my mind. Preach the gospel. So separate politics and, and gospel. And so, and so uh, Tim Scott called us and said, as we said, what can we do? And he called us and he said, um, you know, that they're going to have a need for food because it's an eating culture. It's part of their culture. They've got nine funerals they've got to do in one week. And now the whole world is there and they're going to be a thousand people at every funeral. And so when he called the office, there was a young girl in there that had a small group called Missional Moms. And she just said, she heard it, she said, I'll take that on. I'll tell you a whole story, but it became viral. I mean, they were, it was just an incredible thing. Well, they served a thousand meals for each funeral in one week, sometimes twice in a day, the women in our church. 
And because of that, this racial divide in our city goes back hundreds of years. I've been trying to do the best I can and have not been doing well at all, like zero, to try to get the AME bishops to, you know, hey, let's talk or whatever before this incident. And because of the women serving in our church, the AME bishops said, if Seacoast is involved in it, we want to be involved in it. If you want to fast forward, uh, behind the scenes, nobody knows this, I'm telling you this, because we haven't advertised it, but um, we, we, we opened up an office at Seacoast Church called AME, uh, Mother Emanuel. Uh, we put a full-time staff and tons of volunteers to help them go through all of the mail and the money that they've gotten over the, uh, and help them to write cards and get it in the right place and all that. We've been doing that for a year. Um, just a few uh, weeks ago, they had the one-year anniversary, and they had an um, invitation only. It was all AME. They rented the largest, uh, the college auditorium there in the, in the thing. And yours truly was the only white guy that was on the stage that said something uh, because they invited me to do it because I'm a part. And, and why? Because of what I didn't know, because the women of our church served their way into the heart. Just presence, just presence, just presence. Can I say this? Last thing I want to say is Dylan Roof tried to start a race war and he might have sparked a revival. It's incredible. You know, Brady, ours is just a little different. Of course, you know, I've been reading about the Hispanic population that has poured into our city. And, uh, we just decided that the mission field has come to Phoenix, Arizona. The mission field has come to America. And a, we had a big Christmas giveaway we every year. One man gave us 5,000 brand new bicycles. And so we gave a bicycle out to all the kids that were in need. And we had 20,000 people outside in our amphitheater. And all of them, almost 95% of them, Hispanic that did not speak English and so I just stood up there and preached the gospel through an interpreter thousands of them stood to their feet to accept Christ as their personal Savior so we have viewed this different now Matthew over in LA he said dad I'm against them sending anybody back to Mexico because if they did I'd lose half of my church <laughs> amen thank God so we're approaching this that our job is to reach the lost people, whoever they are, and to love them. The Bible speaks a lot about the alien reaching to them. And by the way, I'm married to an alien, a girl from Sweden. Amen. You know, Brady, let me say one more thing. Um, is It's about us just have, having the spirit of a servant. When this whole Confederate flag thing happened with, um, you know, we had the Confederate flag up on the state house. And then they took it off of the state house and they put it out on the lawn. And then during this Mother Emanuel thing, they took it out of the lawn and folded it up and put it in a, a, a museum. And the, the very first one, they took it off the state house and put it on the lawn. People were asking me, what do you think about that, Pastor? Because it's a sign with, among the, the white community, it's a sign of heritage. It's their, you know, you guys may not know, but there was a war. And, um, you know, a lot of people think the South will rise again, whatever. But, and for some people, it's an honest-to-goodness 
just symbol of their heritage. There are many generations there. But for the African-American community, it's become a symbol of hate. And so what I did is I went to some black people who I trusted, and I said, how should I think about this? And they said, it needs to come down. I said, okay, I'll do that. About the immigration issue, um, I went to some Hispanic people that I trust, and I said, how should I feel about this? I won't tell you. I, I don't agree with the Republican stand at all, um, uh, although that represents my values more than anything else. All I'm saying is, is that you got to ask questions. Ask questions. Go to the people. You can throw stones from a distance, but you can only influence up, up close, up front. Yeah. So anyway. That's good. I, I uh, actually had a great conversation with your senator. He came to our church a few weeks ago, Senator Scott, and we were walking across the parking lot, and I said, Senator Scott, I said, uh, we have to be more compassionate to people who are here. And I, I agree with you. And he goes, you sound a lot like Greg. And I went, yeah. I said, I'm actually probably a liberal when it comes to immigration policy. Yeah. But, but a, a better way, I'm a pastor yeah. when it comes to the immigration policy. I'm jerking his chain all the time. I, I love it. Stay on him. We have to uh, – I I'm, I'm understand law and understand politics and all those things. But at the end of the day, these are human beings that have been in our culture serving and working and raising their families. And I'm going to err on the side of great compassion when it comes to immigration. And uh, if people leave my church over, fine. But I am going to stand on the side of compassionate immigration policy as it relates to families across the board. And send me your nasty emails, but I, I'll, I'll, that's the hill I will die on. That's it. Brady Boyd yeah. at idontcare.com. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> All right. Go to the next question. I, I like this question, but I think for, because of our time, give me throw, throw up another question. Uh, okay. <laughs> that, okay, then oh, we'll go with wow. that one. Uh, <laughs> these are great. Uh, how do you release someone from your staff who has a spouse also serving? All right. Um, I'll let you guys jump on that. Just, uh, just Again, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to my dear friend because <laughs> I don't want to take up all the time. No. Amen. But I, <laughs> but I will say this. In the 36 years I was there, and I'm not saying this is the right way to do it, but I don't think I ever released one staff member. Now, when Luke came, it's a different story, <laughs> amen? But uh, the way that I removed a staff member was I either tried to correct them, I tried to help them, or I just gave them more work and they eventually quit. But I never officially <laughs> fired a staff member. So you're a passive-aggressive fire is what you're trying to say. Okay, all right, I got you. <laughs> His answer. <laughs> you know, uh, we do have spouses uh, that serve on our staff. There are some philosophies that say don't do that, and that's probably the wisest thing. But we've got nepotism that runs wild in our deal on several families, uh, different families, not just mine. I will say this. How do you release someone from your staff who has a spouse always serving? It's probably not going to go well for you. Let's just say that because because they should love their spouse more than they love the church. And even if their spouse is wrong, I would say they need to come support their spouse and just plan on losing both of them. I've had to do this on numerous occasions, and I've never known it to go well. You're usually going to lose both of them. Mm -hmm. And in, in fact, 
100% of the time, you're going to lose both of them. Can you be gracious about that? Totally, totally great. Always gracious. Even when you let someone go, it's super gracious. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you're going to lose both of them. All right, next question. That's good. How committed to your church? We're, we're reading these as you are, okay? So how committed to your church should you be if your spouse is not saved and your commitment to the church strains your marriage? So you, are you talking about, uh, this is, I don't understand the question, is this a staff person? That ha or is it just someone that's attending? I'm guessing this is someone who's attending the church. The, well, the Corinthians talks about this, about uh, obviously we are to serve the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind in a, as a way of saving our spouse. Um, so I don't think commitment to the, I think this is an easy answer, mm -hmm. that we stay committed to the church. Uh, we love the church, and our spouse, we win them over by our love and, our and commitment. Yeah, by our actions. All right, next question. Give us some good ones, like the really edgy ones. Come on, throw me something. We got 10 minutes left. You got another one? That's all the questions? Come on, somebody, get on the app. Send, send us one more question. Are we going to dismiss early? It's fine. All right, go ahead. What, what, I have a question for the two of you. Um, when it comes to this, back to this immigration issue, when um, you just made a beautiful point about the church coming to us, how, and you're in Arizona, so you're a border state, and Colorado's obviously seeing that as well. What, what about, what are we doing to reach the Muslims that are coming here, that are about to be brought here from Syria, from uh, the Middle East? It's one thing to talk about Hispanic illegal immigration or whatever you want to, term you want to use, but we're about, America's about to see uh, tens of thousands of Syrians of the people from the Middle East come right to our doorstep. Colorado Springs has already been designated as a city where they will they'll be here. What's your opinions on those things as well? How should the church right now position itself to open our doors to be a safe place for these these immigrants who are coming to our borders right now? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, what we have done, we've hired a fellow who was a Muslim that God saved from Iran. And he heads up our prayer ministry, and it's the most unbelievable prayer meeting I've ever seen in my life. Literally around the world, thousands are coming. So he tracks a lot of Muslims that come, and he's having a revival. So the way we've approached it is we've just hired a guy who was a Muslim, and he's reaching out to Muslims. So we've had, we have several Muslims now that were Muslims in our church serving God. What about you, Greg? Um, you know, politically, I would say that um, the politics and the church are two different things. I think that the, the country has a responsibility to protect the citizens. And so that's a whole different deal. So the church has a responsibility to love, ever, love everybody here. And so um, I would say that we just have a responsibility to love, care, and serve and show the love of Jesus um, in the best way we can. I think this ISIS thing, I've heard reports that this ISIS thing is causing moderate Muslims to reconsider who they believe in. Uh, I do know that, I'll just give you one, one story. Uh, during the Gulf War, um, there was a Muslim man in Kuwait who, when it started to get bombed, sent his kids one at a time to Charleston to go to college. Those kids, one at a time, got saved. I got to baptize every one of them. And uh, they, for a while, they didn't tell their parents. And uh, this became a real source of conflict. In fact, Naeem, 
Fossil, one of them, ultimately came on staff with us and then was planted by Ark to be a pastor in Charlotte and has written a book called Ex-Muslim. Um, the other day, uh, his father, his father and mother now live in the United States and his father attempted to take his own life, just depressed. And one of the greatest sources of depression for him is that all of his children are now Christians. And, um, and so Naeem and I were talking about that whole thing. Long story short, Naeem prayed the prayer of salvation with his father just two weeks ago. Wow. And uh, so the whole family is coming to Jesus. And, uh, uh, you know, if we'll just love people, love works. Yeah. It really does. Love works, and uh, so I. We just gotta. We just gotta love whoever God places in our. And and I would say this: that when you get a Muslim saved, they're the most devoted people I've ever seen in my life. This fellow I mentioned, the heads of our prayer ministry, he was a layman, but he boy had the touch of God on his life. He's an outstanding businessman, and I remember the first Sunday I was going to announce that we were putting him on the staff. Well, 9/11 happened that week. And he called me up, and his name is Syed Husseini, you know, Khomeini is his last name. So he called up and said, he was weeping, Pastor, you shouldn't announce it this week. The church is not in any mood to take on a Muslim. He said, Let, let's wait a couple of weeks. And I said, no, we're not going to do that. And I stood up, and I told how he had called me, wanted to postpone it, and about his love for God, and everybody already loved him. And when I announced that we were not, we are going to take him on the staff, the church stood up and broke into an applause that was unbelievable. And I tell you, once you win a Muslim to Christ, it's unbelievable. They, they're really, truly great leaders. When Naeem uh, was on our staff at 9-11, too, and we loved him, but we would pat him down every, every day at, at the office <laughs> just to make sure. Yeah, and every time he goes, <laughs> we get nervous in church. I think it's time for lunch. No, you guys are getting close? I love this. All right. One, one thing I want to do, uh, first of all, I want to say to all of you how grateful we are you've come this week. But it's really an honor for us to host you. Right? We mean that sincerely. But I want to say, uh, and I'll turn it over to Glenn in one second, but I, wanted, I woke up this morning uh, because I had this encounter yesterday with a lady um, who's, who said to me, just a lady that's 75 years old, she told me yesterday she'd never had a spiritual dad pray over her. Huh. And, and here I am, I'm 20 years younger, 25 years younger, and I prayed over her, just a fatherly blessing. And I woke up this morning and I said, we have Tommy Barnett with us uh, today, who is the spiritual dad among pastors in our country. We're so honored uh, for th that you're here. Um, I want to end today with us standing, and then I'll have Glenn come up after that. Uh, and Pastor Tommy... Would you pray a Father's blessing over us today, over all of us? I want you to stand uh, as we honor Pastor Tommy, but would you just uh, pray today? Uh, I want you to imagine yourself being one-on-one -on -one with every pastor in the room. Um, and there are, there are a lot of teachers, but there are not many fathers. And we have with us today a father, a, a true bonafide spiritual dad. Uh, and so I want you to pray over us. And just release the Father's blessing on all of us today as we close off this time. Well, thank you. I'm highly honored to do that. You know, one, I told you that Oral Roberts used to come out and spend a week in 
we'd play golf in the daytime and he'd all go, go through the scripture at nighttime. And uh, one day I gave him an offering and a lot of people don't know this, but uh, when he left to go, they made a deal with the government, some back taxes from ORU and so forth, that he gave everything that he owned to the Settle Up and he really died a very poor man. The only money he had was the money that pastors would come and visit him and leave a little offering. Really, he died a very poor man. And uh, I gave him this offering, and he took it in his hand and said, now put your hand in mine. And he said, I want to pray this prayer. We're going to put this in the ground as a seed, a seed that it will grow, and God's going to bless it. And I tell you, right after that, our church experienced unbelievable multiplication financially. It was just unbelievable. And uh, I don't know, that is a little bit off of what I'm praying about. But I do realize there was a blessing on that man's life that touched my life to believe God for more. And I believe that God wants to do great things in all of your lives. You know, Mother Teresa's dead. God wants maybe raise up a Mother Teresa from here, the next Dream Center, the next great church like this one. You know, you've had the joy of being here, one of the greatest churches in America, one of the great churches of the world. And there's really anointing on this church. The next great pastor of a church like this might be here. I've often preached a sermon, The Miracle in the House. And who knows? I didn't know that time I preached, and then I'm going to pray. I feel preach coming on. Amen. I'll never forget that time I preached at the National Black Pastors Conference in Washington, D.C. I was the only Caucasian on the program. And I said, why in the world did you invite me? Everybody knows these black preachers are the greatest preachers in the world. You've just set me up for failure. And the moderator said, we invited you because you've got a black heart. Amen. <laughs> well, that day, there, there was a little preacher in the audience that day who was about to give up. His church ran less than 100 people. When I preached the miracle in the house today and made that statement, there's a miracle in this house. He told me he got so excited, he thought he was going to have a heart attack. And he said, God, if you'll get me out of your life, I'm going to be that miracle. He went back and his little church grew. Several years later, he invited him to preach at his first pastor's conference. There were 8,000 pastors there that day. He told that story and said, Pastor Barnett, I want you to be the first speaker. Well, guess who that preacher was? T.D. Jakes. There was a miracle in the house that night. And I thank you for letting me pray this prayer because I believe there's a miracle. And I may not live to see who it was, but you will, Brady. And while I pray for them, I'm going to pray for you. He's had a few little health, health challenges. And this nation needs this man in a great way. How many believe that? Do you believe that? Thank God. Father, I truly believe there's a miracle in this house. And this is truly one of the great moments of the year for me to be with Pastor Greg here, Lord, a great man of God that you're using in this great church. That is a pattern of good works. Now, there's a lot of big, great churches in the world, but very few churches of influence. And this is such a church. And I pray, first of all, for Pastor Brady, God. I pray as I lay my hand upon him that you'll touch every fiber of his body. Touch this heart. Make it a stronger heart than ever before. 
And I pray, dear God, for the miracle that is in this house. It might be the most unlikely man of the least amount of talent. But you don't always bless people with the greatest talent. You bless people with a servant heart. I pray, God, that a special multiplication anointing shall fall upon every one of these guys. They're going to need financial miracles. And that day that he prayed a financial miracle in my life, I've had over 20 people that have given me a million dollars or more for the Dream Center. Let that anointing fall upon these people for God is no respecter person. Amen. If they receive it, I want them to put their hands up right now. I receive that multiplication anointing and I receive that I could be the miracle in the house. Help them to go forth in power in the name of Jesus. And let's just give a shout of praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Can we just give them a hand? One more, Pastor Tommy, Pastor Greg. Thank you so much.